Take your seats. Take your seats, please. I got a job to do. It's wonderful how the, the world turns and life goes on and life shows up. I had a kitten show up at my, uh, I have an open barn, and I walked out there to look at the lawnmower or something. I heard a meow, you know, just barely hear this little, and there's this little tiny cat, you know, just one-handed. And we live a quarter mile from the nearest cats, so I'm thinking, you know, how did it get here? Well, anyway, they tell me that maybe the mom carried it down there and dropped it off or something. But anyway, it was a drop-off of some, somehow. And I don't know much about cats. I've never been a cat person. And it, I was shocked because it has blue eyes. And like I was telling um, Bruce Carlson, I says, and not just like, you know, barely blue, you know, mostly gray, or brown with a little bit of blue. I said, no, it's like your Triumph motorcycle. It's blue. So we named it Blue, and Pamela and I have <clears throat> not been able to agree upon what its gender is, and so <laughs> we don't want to misgender it. <laughs> and uh, so we named it Blue because that's kind of a non-binary name, I think. Anyway, you know, could swing both ways. So, we'll, you know, we'll, maybe we'll figure it out later. Maybe it'll announce it. You know, we'll have one of those coming out parties, you know. Blow some blue smoke or something. Uh, anyway. Thank you for laughing. Yeah, that's good. Uh, more serious note. I, I, I was... It's a funny thing, you know, I, I was thinking this morning that, you know, if I was in a Pentecostal church this morning, I would say, the Lord told me, but in, in a church more like this, you would, say, you would say more like something more like, the Lord laid it on my heart. And then in some of the other churches, you would say, the unction, you know, I have this morning. So, you know, but I don't know the answer to these things. I just know that um, a, f a few, it might have been a couple years ago, I was listening to a, 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 a radio program and there was an interview and I think it might have been uh, something like Focus on the Family or one of those copies. Anyway, there was a young girl on there and they were interviewing her and she had been uh, to put it mildly, abused as a young girl and, you know, just taken advantage of all through life until she met Jesus and found a church home. And then she found people who were not trying to traumatize her or use her. And she found some people with uh, more pure motives. And anyway, what she said that what she, what first attracted her to Jesus, and I don't know how she knew this, but, well, I guess she heard it from a speaker. There was somebody talking about how holy God is, and what that meant to her, as I understood it, was that she could trust Him because He just loved her for herself and not what He could get from her. And so... 
that set me, started me, I, I had never thought much about the word holiness or about God's holiness. It just never was in one, of, one, of the, one of the characteristics, you know, I was interested in redemption and the power and the forgiveness, you know, and, and, and all those things, but holiness was, was a really big deal for this girl, and it really, it touched me. And I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit, I don't have a lot of emotions, and a, a lot of things don't touch me. I, I, see, I see people, you know, weep at functions, and I'm sitting there like a cold fish, and, uh, you know, wondering, you know, is, is there something wrong with me? And then I feel guilty because I'm thinking about me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, anyway, then, then a, a couple weeks ago, I think Leo was leading worship, and, and we sang the doxology, and I was emotionally moved by it, especially, you know, the, the, the stanza, verse, I don't know music, you know, when you sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and I, I actually felt moisture at the corner of my eye, and I said, what? my head is leaking, there's, there's water coming out of these ocular orbs. What's, what's No, I know better. I was crying. And um, so I thought, I've, I better look into this holiness thing. So I looked in a dictionary and was kind of surprised to see that there was like one short definition that says, you know, separated, set apart. That's about it. Just now I looked in a, in a, in a, a little modern dictionary in the, in the church office there's no, the word holy is not in it at all. Also, there's a church dictionary in the office, and I looked in it, and I think I can spell good enough. It's H-O-L-Y. It, it's not in there. Therefore, if it's not in there, there's no definition. So, I was kind of surprised at the lack of definition for the word holiness. And even the whole thing with just separation, you know, I, I began to question, you know, is... Is, is that all there is? You know, that <clears throat> well, anyway, so I looked up some verses, and uh, the first time that holy is used is in Exodus 3, verse 5, when um, Moses meets the burning bush. And let's see if I can find that. So, you know, chapter 3, this is, this is uh, you know, I have this problem. Whenever I turn to a book in the Bible, I want to say it's my favorite book, but Exodus is not my favorite book. But, and, and then again, I just want to start reading the whole thing and studying it and talking about it and, you know, just say, did you see this? Did you see that? Well, anyway, Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. So, God hesitated to see, you know, he says, okay, is, is, this, <clears throat> is this man going to even pay attention to look? You know, so, so, but yeah, Moses did. Curiosity like the cat, you know. Um, I got to see this marvelous sight, see why the bush is not burned up. 
when the Lord turned to, uh, saw that he turned aside to look, he called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I've always been curious about, you know, what, what was the whole point of taking the sandals off? And now I, I begin to see that this separation thing is part of it. Moses, it's like the Lord was telling Moses, take your sandals off. Who knows what you've been walking through? You know, you're a shepherd. You know, without being too graphic, you probably two plus two. Anyway, so he kicks off his sandals and he walks over there on his bare feet. But there's so much more to it because then Moses was walking in bare feet and he was feeling the ground that he was walking on in, in the presence of the Lord. And there's this whole proximity to God and joy thing that we could go into, but that's not where we're going this morning. Anyway, so that, interestingly, is the, the first use of holiness is that it was the ground that was holy. Then there's another um, scripture reference to holiness in Leviticus 11.44, and <clears throat> Leviticus, I can say without hesitation, has never been my favorite book, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be. Anyway, there, God is going through this process of laying down the law of how to handle, like, uh, corpses, like, you know, if a, if, a, if a dead rat falls into a, a container of grain, you know, you got to throw all the grain away. And then when it gets all done with these laws about how to handle things, you know, and when you have to wash yourself and you got to be separated for a few hours, etc. Then he says, I am holy, therefore you must be holy. <laughs> That's a pretty big ask. Um... I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can do that. In fact, I, I've, I've been struggling with coming up here and mentioning the subject holiness because I am certainly not a holy person. Uh, I don't think I've even ever tried to be holy, which is, you know, I'm, that's like confessing a sin, I think. So then you move to the New Testament, and in 1 Peter... Is anybody, is, is Peter your favorite disciple? Come on, somebody, somebody. Peter's your favorite disciple. Thank you. So, yeah, yeah, Peter, Peter man, he's, he's, <clears throat> he's probably not my favorite disciple, but he's, he's, he's right there in the top five. <laughs> he's great. And he writes a great book here. So, 1 Peter 1.15, he says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that's, that's the quote from Leviticus. And what I saw there in First Peter, is that 
just like Jesus gave an upgrade to the Ten Commandments, where, for instance, He says, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery, He upgrades it to don't commit adultery in your heart. And Peter upgrades this holiness from not only, you know, what you can handle and what you shouldn't handle and how you have to wash after you handle certain things. Peter upgrades it to your whole life. You have to be separate. You have to be clean. But he's not talking about food because Peter had learned his lesson about food that it's, it's not about what goes into your stomach. It's about what comes out of your heart. Because from the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, Peter's trying to tell us, you know, don't be corrupt in your speech or in your living, the way you treat other people. So, he's calling us to be holy in the way we interact with people. You know, to, and like I said, this is, this, is, this is a difficult ask. And, you know, um, like, I wasn't raised to be holy. And I've never made a big attempt at it. But I can see that that's what maybe I'm being called to. And so, anyway, that's where I am. How about you? So, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Um, prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for providing a time and place for us to gather together. We pray that you'd bless the worship team and we'd all join in and, and, and worship and praise. And you would be lifted up and all men would be drawn to you. Amen. You can stand and join us in worship.
Lord, thank you for being here today. You are the greatest treasure. Pray that you would be with the rest of this service today and the sharing time and help it to bless at least one person here today. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Paul, for the introduction. That, uh, that does kind of go through my mind at times, <laughs> I have to admit. I really enjoyed the fishing trip that we, us men, took this weekend. And my mind has kind of been on that subject, not fishing necessarily, but moral purity. And uh, my heart uh, desire is to help the young men, young boys in our group to uh, get it right. You know, I've seen enough mistakes in my own life and the people around me, my close uh, acquaintances, family, or however you want to say it. And um, so I think it's desire, like Roger said, you know, we can try to live holy, but really it's the Lord that's going to do that for us. And so we just need to be willing, allow him to work and live in us. So um, another thing, I wasn't sure how to demonstrate it or share it, but I'm a Ford guy. I like Ford trucks, Ford cars. I've always been a Ford. My family are all Ford people, mostly. <laughs> and uh, how do I say this without blundering anybody? Um, if you buy any of their vehicle, it's, it's like um, downfalling or whatever. Kinda, it's, a, it's a bad road. And the subject today, I'm going to talk about Samson. He went shopping for automobiles, and it was actually girls, and he just picked one out. That's my picture. I see that, so I don't want to get too sidetracked in our talk today, but... Well, let's go on. Let's open up our Bibles to uh, Judges chapter 13. And we're going to read through the story of Samson. So it'll be a little bit of reading here. Uh, Judges 13. And we'll read the whole chapter, if you have it, um, Mary, from one to... Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now... You are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And um, uh, this, this woman may have been at a time where she was really struggling. And uh, I know a little bit about this in a sense. My wife struggled with uh, giving children. And so she could have been out in the field grieving. I don't really know, but the Lord knows our needs. And so he, he was out there and he met her, met her need right there. She may have known she was discouraged, and I don't know, just some stranger comes up and tells you this, it's pretty, it's pretty profound. I think it definitely got our attention. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. 
She was very excited. That's what I see. Now, therefore, in verse 4, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from. He did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to this day of his death. Ed, you're Nazarene. You ever take the Nazarene vow? Never have? So a Nazarene can be a man or a woman. It can be an individual that enters this vow voluntarily. And it has to, the vow is for a specific time frame. There's a beginning and there's an ending. And throughout this period of his separation, he is consecrated to the Lord. He's to abstain from wine or any fermented drink. Um, the Nazarite was not to eat grapes, grape juice, or raisins, and not even to the seeds of the skins. And next, the Nazarite was not to cut his hair. Last, he was not to go near a dead body because that would make him ceremonially unclean. Even if a member of his family died, he was not to go near the corpse. So we'll read, read on here. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord in verse 8. He said, Oh, my Lord, please let the man of God come who you, whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the Lord who will be born. And God listened to the voice of the Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day just showed up, just now has appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man whom spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. 
Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? That when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went upward toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord appeared in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord has desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manaam. Manaam Dan between Zor and Eshtol. Samson was one of the few in scriptures that his birth was pre-announced. He shares the honor with Isaac and John the Baptist and Jesus. And Samson, whose name was Sunshine, was born sometime between 1045 and 1000 B.C., during a kind of a dark period in Israel's history. Seven times the nation had turned from God and now found themselves under the oppressive rule of the Philistines. So we'll go on to 14. Kind of keep reading through it, Mary. Now Samson went down to Timnah, and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman of Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. When then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, and that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. And I put myself in that situation and say, No, 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 you can't do this. No, it's not going to work. But if the Lord's behind it, I guess you got to go with it. And this is my, my, uh, my thought about the dealership here. Samson's out like he's looking for cars in a way, and he picks this girl out. I mean, it's kind of a crude way of looking at it, but that's, I just got this picture in my head, and he's, he's out cruising around in the enemy territory, and, okay, I want you. It's kind of the way they did it, I guess, in the old days. So uh, in verse 5, 
So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring out against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Um, so the, why do you think uh, he... Why do you think we have an attacking lion in this story? Is anybody? I guess I'm not really going to ask for feedback, but I, my, I had that my question. Why is it an attacking lion in this story? Well, there's a couple things. I think the commentators uh, was saying that he's going now, if you look at this, he's going down to the vineyards of Timna, which he's supposed to avoid. And I don't know if the lion is a warning sign to him saying, hey, you've got to get out away from here. Or it could have been uh, a way for God to show Samson, this is what happens when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. You have great strength, and uh, he killed a lion, boom, bare hands, just like that. So it was kind of a, maybe it could have been a test to Samson to show him his real strength when the Lord works with him. But anyways, that's kind of a side note. Verse 7, then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson, after some time, when she returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. So some time had passed, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman Samson gave a feast there for young men, for young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 lemon garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But when it came to pass on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she wept on him the seven days while they feasted, while the feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much, then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, What? is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, 
If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. Samson's lust for women was his weakness. He gave in to his nagging wife and allowed his enemies to gain access. Samson, we see him as courageous, but he was very weak when it came to women. So, a little bit of the topic of boys and men. Just remember, the enemy is still out to get you and me, and he will appeal to our weaknesses. Um, verse 19 says, In the Spirit of the Lord, then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. And my wonderings, or my question is, what if Samson just didn't tell the riddle? That would have been a whole lot easier, but that's not what God had in mind. God had in mind to him to get in the Philistines' face and cause trouble. And so Samson was fulfilling his purpose. However crazy the story seems, I mean, that's just adding more problems for him down the road. So, uh, 15. After a while, at the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat, and he said, let me go in to my wife into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please, take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put the torch between each pair of the tails. And he had set the torches on fire. He let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyard and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came upon and burnt her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely revenge on you, take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. And so he attacked him, hip and thigh, with great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Hip and thigh is like wrestling match or some kind of a kung fu setting. Hip and thigh, that's hand in hand. I, I, did, well, I wasn't really raised in a uh, fighting background. I was raised in a, where we didn't go to war, uh, what do you call that, a non-resistant, huh? Yeah, and so I can't really get a visual of what this would be like, but 
I imagine it was quite brutal when he was doing this. And he was good at it. And he, the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he accomplished his mission that way. So, Samson was courageous before men, but he is, his weakness came when he was looking at women. Okay, where am I at? Verse 9. Now the Philistines went up, encamped at Judah, and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. And I don't know if this was a way for him to say, Hey, you guys... Don't touch me or I'm going to come upon you. I don't know if that's... It doesn't say that, but I was thinking, why would he ask them to not kill him? Well, because he probably wouldn't fight him or something. So they spoke to him saying, No, we will, we will tie you up securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came up shouting against him, then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were in his arms came like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and with the jawbone of a donkey, he kills a thousand men. That's amazing. He's accomplishing his will, God's will, but it's pretty brutal. The stories, there's movies made of this story, there's a lot of drama being accounted for this. And so we see God, in his sovereignty, use Samson to fulfill his purpose. Samson is fulfilling his purpose, even though it's a kind of a gory, Brutal story. <clears throat> and so it was, in verse 17, so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath, Lehi. Then he, came, then he became very thirsty, so that he cried to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the circumcised. So God split the harrow, the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name Enkahor, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Lehi means jawbone, and Ramath Lehi meaning the hill of the jawbone. And... Um, in Cahor as meaning the well of him who cried and they probably named this hill after he had conquered a thousand Philistines 
next chapter. So here's where we see Samson's moral weakness and his lust for women. It gets the best of him here in this chapter here. Um, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight, and he arose at midnight, took hold of the door of the gate of the city, and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. And some of the commentators say that Hebron was like 30 or 40 miles away. And I don't know if he carried it that far, but um, it says that he, he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So it might be 30 miles, seems like a long ways to me, but it uh, doesn't really matter. But after it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Shorek, whose name was Delilah. We all know that name, don't we? I named her Dirty Deceptive Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And that is a lot of silver. I was looking that up, and it was five, basically five lords, five Philistine lords, and 1,100 pieces, and it's 27 and a half pounds of silver apiece. So if you compute the math, what it's worth today, it's like $23, $23 an ounce for silver. So she's paid nine to $10,000 per 1,100 pieces. So it's mere $50,000 to sell him out, which is kind of cheap in our world, really. But um, okay, where was that here? Verse verse six. So Delilah said to Samson, "Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you." And Samson said to her, "If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man." So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her fresh, seven fresh bro, bowstrings, getting my tongue tied here, not yet dried, and she bound him with it. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not no one. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound with him and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off of his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. 
tell me what, what you may be bound with. And he said to her, if you were, if you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, so she wove, him, wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and he pulled out the batten and the web of the loom. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? And you have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he had told her all his heart and said to her, uh-oh, here it comes. No razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarene, a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Samson told her all his heart, and it cost him dearly. It cost him his eyes, it cost him his freedom, and it cost him his strength. It cost him dearly. When, Dela, when Delilah saw that she had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, bring your money, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in her hand. And she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of her head, of his head. And she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as before, as other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. Even as today we can relate, sin blinds, it binds, and it grinds. They put out Samson's eyes, they bound him with ropes, and they made him grind at the wheel. Sometimes sin can grind at us. Verse 22, however, the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who has multiplied our dead. So it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me that I may, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right and the other on the left. 
Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed in his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he had judged Israel for 20 years. Hmm. That's a lot of reading. But God in his sovereignty used Samson to fulfill his purposes. And so my thoughts are kind of with young men and old men. Samson was very distracted. What can we do to not be so distracted? How can we keep our eyes focused on the Lord? So probably, there's probably a lot of lessons in this. A few of them here. One of them is probably the sensuality that uh, Samson got himself into. You know, had he not been so inclined for these foreign women, he probably would have maybe saved himself a little bit of troubles. I mean, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was for him to take care of the Philistines. So the deeper we allow, allow ourselves to be influenced by the glamour and the allurement of sin, the more blind we become. If you're watching TV or you're watching movies that maybe are kind of on the shady side, it kind of tends to numb us. It kind of tends to um, desensitize us or whatever. If we, we just got to remember the enemy wants to kill and destroy. It's the, it's the second look. It's the little lie or the, the taste of the fruit that can seem so trivial. Um, yeah, if we look at the ads or like the, some of the movies or the, uh, the advertisements that are on there, they don't show you the uh, drug addict or the um, alcohol addict and their sickness. They show uh, the passions. They show a beautiful girl that's they're trying to campaign their product and uh, that appeals to our senses. And I, uh, the enemy knows our weakness. He's after after us as men. So men, let's be strong. Let's be, stand, stand firm. Um, so boys and girls, I guess probably one thing, if I can get your attention just this one time, I, time has kind of gotten away from me here. I got another half an hour yet. No, just kidding. Um, if you're looking at girls as objects or property, you got a problem. And we need to look at our women, our girls, as God's precious daughters. It's really, pornography is really a, I'm going off sidetrack here, but um, all sin, sexual sin, pornography is as brutal, as killer to marriages, as killer to relationships. And us men, we went through some of these video series, but it's, it's a real problem. I think Samson had a problem. And so um, sin can bind us, it can blind us, and it can grind away at us. It, sin can take us farther than we ever intended, and it can um, cost us more than we ever imagined. So let's take instruction from the God's word. Let's, let's uh, guard our heart. 
Guard her heart. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And James 1.14 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So I wrote some more references down here. Proverbs 3, or Proverbs 6:32. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. Let's don't destroy ourselves, man. Let's, let's keep ourselves holy. Let's ask God to work in our lives. It takes a willing heart to be holy. We can try to live holy in our own, but it just doesn't work. We need Jesus. Um there's another one here, it's Matthew 5, 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we're not really involved with a marital relationship, but man, um, I think this is something we need to really be thinking about. If we even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And so this is... The bar has been raised, as it was mentioned this morning. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is hope and there is grace. God and his sovereignty used Samson to fulfill his purposes. In the end, God saw Samson as a man of faith, as in Hebrews eleven thirty-two. So... With that, I would challenge you to let's be men and women of faith. Let's follow the Lord. Let's allow him to lead us and guide us. I commend you to God. Let's, uh, let's stand. We'll have a prayer, and we'll close the message. Lord God, thank you for uh, your word. I pray that we can cling to your word. It's your word that cleanses us. Lord, help us to obey your word and walk humbly and purely before you as young men and women. Father, I thank you for the lesson. I pray that we can apply it to our lives. Give us grace, Lord. Help us to call upon you in our time of need. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.